The scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone act might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, this has been a week of dramatic news stories. The images we see coming out of Ukraine are more harrowing every day. A plane full of people crashed from the sky in China. And DC is abuzz with a fresh round of political intrigue and glued to a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, which is both historic and contentious. To make it all a little more bearable, there's March Madness, where even if you do not care at all about basketball, you cannot help but be amazed by a Cinderella team from a little Catholic college in New Jersey, in Jersey City, New Jersey, and this college serves primarily first-generation college students. The St. Peter's Peacocks have beaten some of the best teams in the country, which I can only bring up because our Kentucky fan senior pastor is out of town today. <laughs> These scrolling news stories run side by side in our lives with our personal stories, where birth and death, love and loss, surgeries and stress, worry and hope keep on rolling every day. I think many people are traumatized by all the news and simultaneously addicted to all the drama. When the news, whether it's local, national, or personal, takes over our brains and our hearts, the present makes us more and more anxious, and the future seems scarier and scarier. So then we come to church. And maybe we're hoping for a nice story from the past to calm us down. A story with recognizable David and Goliath characters, a narrative that's easy to follow and hard to forget, 
something that makes a good bedtime story for the kids. But then you show up and you run into a wall of Paul. Today we're going to look, like, look at what seems like a wall of Paul, but is actually the best news story you've heard all week. It's the story of a relationship, and in just a few paragraphs, it puts the past, the present, and the future in perfect balance. This is the story that provides us with the foundational security to deal with every other story that life throws at us. So let's pray for God's voice to come through the words on the page and through the spoken word and into our hearts. Living, loving God, in a chaotic and unpredictable world, you break through the noise and bad news. Your ancient word is just as true and relevant now as it was in first century Rome, with its political struggles, pagan culture, and personal pain. We pray that you would illumine the Apostle Paul's words and bring us a word of hope. Please keep the messenger out of the way and the message before us in this time together and all week long. We pray in the name of Jesus, our living hope. Amen. So the Apostle Paul gets a bad rap. He, of course, did have a very nasty rap sheet before the Lord got a hold of him. But his conversion turned a tornado of destructive energy into a wave of spiritual productivity, telling people about the transforming power of the gospel, planting and leading churches that were never drama-free, and writing letters that God used to guide those churches and to guide us. The letters, especially Romans, seem complicated. But Paul was actually very good at a principle of Communications 101, which says, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. He does that with his letters as a whole, and he does that with smaller chunks of the letters. If you look carefully, there's usually an introductory sentence or two that lays out the theme, and then he develops that theme and then sums it up in a way that goes straight to the heart. The reason this particular passage cuts straight to the heart for us is that it's about the so what of the cross. What's the upshot of the cross? What did it, what did it change and what does it mean? You may have noticed that this sermon series title, The Cross-Shaped Life, is a double entendre you can take it to mean a life shaped by the cross, or you can take it to mean a life that looks like the shape of the cross. The Christian life is both things. Life given meaning and direction by the cross, and a daily life of choices and actions in the modern world that look like the model set by Jesus. So let's take this absolutely key scripture passage for answering the so what question. 
It's a pivot passage in the letter to Romans, built on everything Paul's been talking about so far, and diving into a deeper explanation of what it means. Since we are justified by faith, Paul writes, and that is the huge premise, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. There are the first two life-transforming upshots of the cross, peace and hope. We'll unpack those a little more, but there's a third upshot of the cross. Not only that, Paul continues, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. More unpacking is needed here, but the third upshot is that we have a unique way of understanding and dealing with suffering. So the upshots of the cross, at least the ones in the spotlight here, are peace, hope, and a better way to understand and deal with suffering. And those things are about as urgent as you can get in March of 2022. It all starts with our being reconciled to God through what Jesus did on the cross. We unapologetically preach the cross and the resurrection because we unflinchingly acknowledge that every single one of us is a sinner who gets separated from God. Human beings are created in the image of God, but then we land in a fallen world that almost immediately starts imprinting its broken ways of living and loving on us. Over time, we intentionally sin and we unintentionally sin and it all piles up. There is no way that a perfectly good, perfectly just God can stand for this from us or from anyone. Sometimes we're keenly, painfully aware of something or some things we have done that are wrong in our lives. And those things slam up a wall between us and God, like one of those security barriers just pops out of the ground. We're on one side, God's on the other, and we don't know how to get over it or around it. Just as dangerous is becoming estranged from God very, very slowly and gradually. So gradually that we don't even realize it's happening. Over time, we care less and less about what God thinks and we become less and less interested in what God has to say. What was once good and connected becomes devalued and disconnected. Our idols slowly take over our lives like weeds slowly take over a lawn. First, there's just a few, and then we are overrun. 
And you know what this feels like from your human relationships. Drift and distance can creep into our friendships, our relationships with our children, our marriages, and our relationships in Christian community. As we start to emerge from the pandemic, I hope, it's a good time to ask where and how we may have drifted away from one another or from God over these past few years. In any and all cases, sin leads to death. The death of trust, the death of relationships, the death of doing God's will, sometimes even the untimely death of people, and ultimately separation from God in death. If you've ever tried to change any of those on your own, you know it's impossible. We need help from God to be fully reconciled to him and to one another. And help is here. All the promises of this passage are built on the premise that Jesus made reconciliation possible through his death on the cross. Before we were born, before we knew we needed it, before we believed it. At the right time, Paul writes, Christ died for the ungodly. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. That's why the cross-shaped life starts with Jesus on the cross, atoning for what we cannot atone for and opening a door for us to walk through. When we walk through the door by repentance and faith into a reconciled relationship with God, all of the other so what blessings start to flow. Peace, hope, and a better way of dealing with suffering. One cool image that Paul uses for this foundational truth is grace as a place. Have you ever thought of grace as a place? Paul says Jesus has given us access to this grace in which we stand. The Greek word for access is the same word as for approaching an altar with a sacrifice, which is what a bunch of Romans would have seen all the time. Along with those Romans, Let's imagine grace as a place, a room where believers now stand, a place where they can stand without fear, a place where you can experience the presence and sustaining love of God. Things are going to happen in that room which haven't happened yet, including the judgment of all people, but belonging to Jesus makes that place in God's presence, a safe place, a saved place.
very strange, and I'm going to get a little bit editorial here, is that saved has become a bad word, or at least a distasteful concept for many people. I don't know if it's an unfortunate association with dubious TV preachers or street corner preachers yelling through bullhorns, which would make anyone run screaming in the other direction. I don't know if it's a queasy discomfort with the humbling presence that we need to be saved. I don't know if it's because some make the mistake of viewing those who are unsaved as excluded rather than invited. I do know that there are widespread and very popular movements in contemporary Christianity that would carve out the cross as atonement, deny the bodily resurrection, devalue salvation, and get rid of most of the New Testament and leave them on the cutting room floor in favor of a Jesus who meant very little in the past, means little more than a to-do list in the present, and means nothing in the future. The popular versions of this approach are plentiful in social media. I see them on Facebook every day. And the academic versions of this have been around for a long time. The cross-shaped life is different. Experiencing Christ's hard-won reconciliation with God is a feeling like no other and a driving force like no other. Do you know that feeling when there's been something unspoken and uncomfortable between you and someone you love? Something that makes both of you unhappy. And then you finally clear the air and remember that your love is greater than this roadblock? To be reconciled to God because of what Jesus did for you in the past brings relief and joy in the present. This is peace that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. And the cross-shaped life extends into the future as well. The believer's future is secure even after death, which seems distant or abstract until you watch the news or get a phone call. And suddenly you have to think about the everyday reality of mortality. The hope of sharing in the glory of God is not based on imagination. It's based on this reconciliation. Which brings us to the Christian's unique way of understanding and dealing with suffering. How we cope. Peace, hope, and now cope. The perspective on suffering here is completely countercultural for us. Most of American culture runs from suffering, blames people for suffering, and finds suffering irreconcilable with the existence and presence of a living, loving God. How can Paul say we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? 
Well, anyone who's been a Christian for more than five minutes knows that the Christian life in the present is a paradoxical combination of peace, hope, and suffering. Because the cross-shaped life connects the past, the present, and the future, we can understand suffering as part of a larger story that ends with hope. This passage does not glorify suffering per se. It says that there can be unexpected growth and fruit from times of suffering in our lives. This passage also does not say to just buck up and ignore suffering, as the classical or modern Stoic might say. It tells us that we can hold on through suffering because we are loved and the Holy Spirit is with us. There's one really important image Paul uses throughout Romans, which you need to know about here. Paul is telling the story of the Messiah's people in terms of a new exodus. This is an image that would have completely resonated with first century Jews who were waiting and hoping for God to liberate them from Rome just as God liberated them from slavery in Egypt in the past. Paul uses Exodus language, but on a cosmic scale. Jesus' people are the liberated people on their way home to the promised land, but they're not there yet. Being justified and reconciled to God is the liberation. A secure future with God is the promised land, but the present life is still a journey through the wilderness with God. And along the way, instead of the presence of God being in a pillar of cloud or fire, God is present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The poisonous, biting DC scorpions may still be nipping at your feet in the desert, but God is taking us somewhere by that path, even strengthening us as we go. The long, lonely, thirsty miles are real, but we are not alone on them. This is a uniquely Christian way of understanding and dealing with suffering, and it's a key part of the so what of the cross. Since we are justified by faith, so what? So we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that gives us amazing peace. It should never cease to amaze us that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. God made the first move to be reconciled to us. So our future is secure and God gives us Hope, that gives us hope. And so, the Holy Spirit is with us, lifting our hearts above the dusty road between the liberation of Easter and the promised land of heaven, helping us cope. Last but not least, being reconciled to God means that we have some reconciling work of our own to do. In relationships that we have let drift or implode, and in our suffering, unjust world. 
Second Corinthians 5, 18 to 19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Why wouldn't we tell a lost and hopeless world, enslaved to its impotent idols and terrorized by injustice, that life and death don't have to be this way? Why wouldn't we talk about Jesus whose power transforms and integrates the past, the present, and the future? Why wouldn't we demonstrate the worth of, that the worth of every person is established by the gospel, unifying us in our need, our belovedness, and our access to reconciliation in Jesus Christ. This is the time to tell the world. This is the time to remember that life shaped by the cross is a different experience than life shaped by the world. This is the time of year to remember that life in the shape of the cross looks different to the world. The world is watching the peace we exhibit, the hope we hold on to, the way we cope with suffering, the way we value people, and whether we are proud of the Savior who makes it all possible. So let's pray for God to help us all live across shaped life. Heavenly Father, one thing is clear. We cannot fix all the broken people, broken places, and broken relationships. We cannot take away our own sin, much less the sin of the world. We need Jesus to be reconciled to you, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us be reconciled to one another every day. Standing in your grace, we humbly ask that you would help us hope and help us cope. And that you would lead us to live faithful, cross-shaped lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.